communal nose blow? <laughs> okay. All right. Feel free. <laughs> We're not going to make that a regular part of our service. <laughs> not like foot washing, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> You know, I can't think of a better portrait to paint on Mother's Day than the one Luke paints for us in our text for today, a woman at Jesus' feet. The portrait begins, however, with what might be thought of as an uncomplimentary picture, that of a sinful woman. But I'm sure we all realize that it is sin that brings us to the feet of Jesus. We're studying in Luke's Gospel. We're in chapter 7, ready for verses 36 through 39. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in this city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Why the Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner, we're not told. It's doubtful, however, that it was out of admiration. Now, maybe he thought Jesus would let down his guard in an informal setting and do something that could be used against him. Maybe he just liked hosting celebrities or invited Jesus out of curiosity. Whatever his reason, he invited Jesus, and Jesus came. And that tells us more about Jesus than it does the Pharisee. Jesus knew the Pharisees were plotting against him. Still, he came. He willingly went into the lion's den and reclined at the table with him. Now, in order to make sense of this scene, we have to realize that food was generally set on a very low table or on the floor itself. And diners then reclined on pillows with their feet angled away from the table. A very relaxed way to eat, leaning on an elbow and just shoveling in the food. I kind of like that. Uh, we'll come back to that picture in, in just a moment. But into that scene comes a woman, a sinful woman. And the way it is stated indicates that she was a notoriously immoral woman, most likely a prostitute. And when she learned that Jesus was going to be there, she apparently invited herself. And that in and of itself wasn't as unusual as it might seem. It was customary for neighbors and even strangers to simply go to houses where banquets were being held. Occasionally they would be given the leftovers, but most of the time they would simply line the walls and watch. If a rabbi was the honored guest, they would also come just to listen. This woman, however, was no doubt an unwelcome guest. One commentator noted that even if the Pharisee had visited her in the dark of night, he would have never welcomed her into his home. But there she was, with an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, whether she brought it intentionally or it was simply a small vial that women usually wore around their necks, we don't know. It does appear, however, that she intentionally positioned herself behind Jesus. Perhaps she simply wanted to be near him. And then she began crying. Now, why? We're not told. They could be tears of sorrow. 
or tears of joy. But they apparently began falling on Jesus' feet. And as we noted, since he was reclining at the table, his feet would have been sticking out behind him. She didn't have to crawl under the table to drop tears on his feet, okay? But whether she was intentionally trying to wet his feet or it was accidental, when they became wet, she felt impelled to dry them. She had nothing with which to dry them other than her hair, which apparently had been let down, which is also a sign of an immoral woman in that day. She bent over and began wiping his feet with her hair. And then what had perhaps begun accidentally turned into a very, very emotional scene. She began kissing his feet in addition to washing them with her tears and drying them with her hair. She was not only humbling herself before the Lord, she was worshiping him. You know, the word for worship actually means to kiss toward. She was worshiping. She was openly expressing her love for him. Now, to have a woman of ill repute openly express her love for you would be extremely awkward, if not downright embarrassing. But Jesus didn't try to kick her away. So she continued. And then she broke the vial of perfume and anointed his feet. Even though Jesus wasn't offended by her behavior, the Pharisee was. And he assumed that Jesus' lack of offense was because he didn't know who or what she was. He concluded, therefore, that Jesus was not a prophet of God because a prophet would have known what kind of woman she was. And a prophet certainly wouldn't allow himself to be touched by such a woman. But Jesus did know. And his appearance or his acceptance of her worship indicated a willingness on his part to accept anyone who will humble themselves at his feet. Yes, she was a sinful woman, But in his presence, she was also a forgiven woman. Verses 40 through 50. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little forgives little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon thought that Jesus' failure to reprimand the woman came from a lack of insight into her character and proved that he was not a prophet. But Jesus proved himself to be a prophet, at least a prophet, by knowing what Simon was thinking. Simon, I have something to say to you. 
Now, since he had already judged Jesus to be a fraud, I doubt that Simon was really too interested in what Jesus might have to say. But as the host of the banquet, he had to be polite, so he responded, well, say it, teacher. Jesus proceeded to tell a brief parable about two debtors. One owed 500 days' wages and the other 50. Both were bailed out by a gracious president using other taxpayers' money. (laughs) And their debts were forgiven. (laughs) I may have read just a little too much into that text. The important thing here is to answer the question that Jesus then asked. Which of them then loved him more? Which I would imagine is also what politicians wonder when they hand out money. Anyway, the Pharisee was a bit of a prophet himself, and he could see where this was going. He begrudgingly responded, well, I suppose uh, the one whom he forgave the more. Simon had judged correctly, and I love the way Jesus says that. You've judged correctly. He then turned to the woman and rhetorically asked Simon, do you see this woman? And who didn't see this woman? He then proceeded to contrast her behavior toward him with Simon's. Simon had failed to even provide water for Jesus to wash his feet, which was necessary in that culture where they walked on dusty roads and sandals. But she washed him with her tears and dried them with her hair. Simon offered no kiss of greeting upon his arrival, which again was customary, you know, the little cheek-cheek thing. But she hadn't stopped kissing his feet. Simon didn't anoint his head with oil to refresh him after a journey, but she anointed his feet with perfume. Obviously, she felt something toward Jesus that Simon didn't. Being a Pharisee, it's doubtful that Simon felt himself in need of forgiveness. He obeyed the law, so he didn't owe God anything. And he certainly did not recognize that his dinner guest was the one who could forgive such debts if he had had one. She, on the other hand, knew she was a sinner. Everyone in town knew it. And she apparently knew that Jesus had or would soon forgive her of her sins. And she loved him because of it. Now, when Jesus said her sins, which were many, had been forgiven for she loved much, it almost sounds as if she was forgiven because she loved. But the parable makes it plain that forgiveness comes before Love. It's the result of forgiveness, not the means to forgiveness. You aren't forgiven of your sins because you love Jesus. You love Jesus because your sins have been forgiven. And the greater your sins, the greater your love. Now, don't let that hold you back when singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Go ahead and let the tears flow and keep kissing his feet. Now, Jesus welcomes extravagant displays of affection, even if the Pharisees are made uncomfortable by them. To the woman, Jesus then said, your sins have been forgiven. Apparently, she already knew it. Because her tears of joy and kisses of affection had demonstrated it. But she was no doubt encouraged and affirmed to actually hear her Savior say, Your sins have been forgiven. It was wonderful to her. Others at the banquet, however, thought it was scandalous for Jesus to say that. Who is this man? who even forgives sin. Now, we can all 
forgive those who sin against us. And we must if we would be forgiven. But this woman had not sinned against Jesus. She was just an immoral woman. She'd sinned against God. And still, Jesus could assure her that her sin had been forgiven. Obviously, the only one who can forgive sin against God is God. Or the Son of God. I doubt that she fully understood who it was she was bowing before. But she apparently had faith that he could forgive her sin. And Jesus assured her that her faith in him had indeed saved her. As a result of that assurance, she could go in peace. Her sins had been forgiven, and she knew it. And because she had been forgiven so much, she loved Jesus more than the Pharisee could ever comprehend. Fortunately, we do understand that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And we understand that we have a debt that we are unable to pay. We may not realize that our debt is as great as that of an immoral prostitute, but it is. James makes it clear that to break one law is to become a lawbreaker. And that means in God's eyes, we are as guilty as if we had broken them all. That also means that the penalty for my sin is as great as is the penalty for the most notorious sinner who has ever lived. The sinless Lamb of God had to die for me as much as for anyone else. When we really comprehend that, we find ourselves loving Jesus, as did this woman at Jesus' feet. For as Luke goes on to tell us, she's not the only one to love Jesus or to minister to him. Moving into the eighth chapter, first three verses. And it came about soon afterwards that he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who are contributing to their support out of their private means. Now, there's no way to know if the previously mentioned woman is included among these, but it's possible. Even if she wasn't, they were all women who had been freed from sin and its consequences. They'd all been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. We are here introduced to Mary Magdalene, from whom were cast seven demons. And contrary to popular mythology, there is no indication that she was a prostitute or that she was the woman we just met back in chapter 7, let alone that she was the wife of Jesus as portrayed by Dan Brown in the Da Vinci Code. Joanna was the wife of Herod's steward, indicating that Jesus' influence had even reached into the royal household. Of Susanna, we know nothing other than, like the others, she was a woman of some means. And they, along with many other women, contributed to the support of Jesus and his disciples. They all apparently served him out of gratitude for what Christ had done. And this group of women proved themselves faithful to the end and beyond. 
not only were they there at the crucifixion, they followed to see where Jesus was laid. And they were there on Sunday morning to discover the empty tomb. In fact, they were the ones who reported the resurrection to the apostles and tried in vain to convince them that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. What better examples could we have of godly women on Mother's Day? Women who recognized their need for forgiveness and then responded with unrestrained love. Who served Christ to the grave and beyond. May we all so humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus today. And then go our way in peace. And we can, if we'll ask Jesus to search our hearts, cleanse us from every sin, and then set us free. Let's stand.